Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty. Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And UDO Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. UDOBooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 877. Once again, our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine as they continue to endure and push back in their brave battle against the onslaught from Vladimir Putin. By the way, we have a bird connection to Ukraine this morning. Our friend from Tucson Audubon, Olya Phillips, who was born in Ukraine, will present a virtual tour of the birds of Ukraine on Thursday, March 31st. It's a free program, and you can register for it at Tucson Audubon. Dot org. If you're hearing our show after March 31st, we think you can see a recording of the program through that same address. We're just trying to check on that to be sure. But it's TucsonAudubon.org. There's a bird found in Michigan and in very few other places called the Kirtland's Warbler, which was recently saved from extinction through some Herculean efforts by lots of folks. And in late 2019, it was removed from the federal endangered species list. Well, if you live in Michigan, you can now help raise awareness about this bird, which will always need human help, and help raise some money for conservation in the process. You can do it by purchasing one of the new Conserve Wildlife Habitat license plates. For $35, you can get the plate featuring a Kirtland's warbler image. And 25 of those dollars will go to the state's non-game fish and wildlife trust fund. So that's pretty cool, and we learned about this from our good friend of the show, Greg Bodker, who's doing some good work of his own in Michigan, teaching folks about birds. Thank you, Greg. A part of the reason for mentioning the Kirtland's warbler this morning is that on today's show, we'll learn about another bird that's facing the possibility of extinction and whose chance for survival may be even slimmer than that of the Kirtland's warbler. We'll find out more when we welcome today's special guest, Sean Riley, in just a few minutes. That's the pretty distinctive sound of our mystery bird. As a preview of our contest, it comes along in a bit. We'd like to get you ready for it so you'll be able to call us right away when we give the signal. A little later in the show, our mystery bird is a stocky blackbird with a short tail, large head, and heavy finch-like bill. It forages on the ground for seeds and some insects. Male of the species has glossy black plumage on the body, and rich brown color on the head. Our bird breeds from northern New England across the northern Midwest and down into the southwestern states. It's found year-round mostly from southern New England and the southeast and west through southern Arizona. And the female famously makes no nests but lays her eggs in the nests of other birds instead. Some clues there about our mystery bird and beautiful prizes include from our friends at Classic Brands... A Droll Yankees new generation yellow thistle finch feeder with six perches to allow several birds, in fact six of them, to feed simultaneously. It also has an internal seed baffle, which is a clever little thing that directs seeds to an additional port located at the lowest level to help ensure that the feeder empties completely without allowing that messy seed buildup. 
And here's something to help protect the birds visiting your yard. A feather-friendly window collision kit. It's recommended by numerous bird conservation groups and experts because it really does work. Time permitting, we'll have a bonus question, and that could win somebody a Wisdom Supply $20 gift certificate. They make those plastic-free books and notepads and journals for classroom and office. So a preview there, the Mystery Bird Contest. And here's our salute. We're happy to be able to make uh, so far every week on our show, thanks to all the wonderful participation by Talking Birds Ambassadors, helping us get the word out. Thank you to Diane H. from Darien, Connecticut, which just happens to be the hometown of our executive producer emeritus, Mark Duffield. Diane says, I'm new to town and find it lovely. Hope to meet some of my new neighbors here and work Talking Birds into the conversation. That's nice. Thank you, Diane. Thank you to Nancy Brown from Seabrook Island, South Carolina. She says, I'm originally from Maine. My wife from Massachusetts. We're now retired. We spend summer on a lake in Maine and the rest of the year in the South Carolina low country. My wife, Flo Foley, and I are two of the founding members of a birding club on our island started five years ago and which now has more than 300 members. We'll write another blog to remind our members about your podcast, and we'll add your website to our website. And their website here is really worth looking at, by the way, seabrookislandbirders.org. Nancy says, I thought it was interesting that your program last Sunday discussed murmurations. We distributed a blog the day before on the topic. Just want you to know, Nancy, we did not steal that. (laughs) steal that from you. However, we may steal other things from you in the future. Nancy sent another note saying, other even more interesting things about where we live is that Seabrook Island is a stopping point for thousands of red knots that migrate from the top of South America to nesting grounds in the Arctic. And last year it was announced that the barrier island off Seabrook, DeVoe Bank, is the migration stopover for thousands of wimbrels. And there's one of them now. Well, thank you, Nancy. We love our Talking Birds ambassadors, and we'd like to invite all Talking Birds listeners to join the family. It really does help us get the word out about our show and about our goal, which is to spread the word about the wonder of birds and the vital importance of conservation. You can sign up, as more than 700 listeners have now done, at TalkingBirds.com. Just click on the Get Involved tab at the top of the page there. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with bird researcher Sean Riley about his important work with salt marsh sparrows and long-eared owls. Plus, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor in the Let's Ask Mike segment, featuring advice about nest boxes, a.k.a. birdhouses. And up next, a bird with kind of a fascinating classification history is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Branta is a Latinized form of an old Norse word meaning burnt or black goose, which brings us to today's featured feathered friend, the brant. It and a similar bird were once considered to be a single species and believed to be the same creature as the crustacean which gave it its name, Barnacle Goose. That Barnacle Goose story is covered in the featured Feathered Friends segment of our show 364. 
easily found at TalkingBirds.com slash archive. That's show number 364. But back to the Brant, which also looks a bit like a Canada goose, but smaller and chunkier and with a shorter neck and a stubby bill. It has a black chest, head, and neck, usually with an incomplete white necklace, pale, heavily streaked flanks and belly, and a brownish back. In North America, the Brant breeds along the northern coast of Alaska and western Canada, with the Pacific subspecies all along our west coast, and it's found in winter along both U.S. coasts. The Brant forages in flocks at most times of year, wading or tipping up in shallow water or on tidal flats, mostly seeking plant material, especially eel grass, in migration in winter. On its breeding grounds, it grazes on sedges, grasses, and pondweed, supplementing its diet with mollusks and worms and aquatic insects. Branta bernicla, that's Latin for barnacle, the brant. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Welcome again. It's our show number 877. Well, Sean Riley is the park supervisor for Belle Isle Marsh and Rumney Marsh Reservations here in eastern Massachusetts. He's a licensed bird bander and station manager for the Belle Isle Marsh Education and Research Station. And he's doing some interesting and important research on a couple of bird species, including one which has been described as being on the brink of extinction, the salt marsh sparrow. And he's here with us to talk about his work and the outlook for this very vulnerable bird. Good morning, Sean. Morning, Ray. How's it going? Going well. Great to have you on. Thank you, Sean. As I was uh, getting ready for our cha- uh, chat today, I-, I saw this National Audubon headline. It says, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has delayed its decision on the salt marsh sparrow's endangered status to 2023. Scientists say that may be too late. So what about that, Sean? What, what's the delay of what's, what does this mean? Yeah, so um, in, in this case, you know, sometimes, you know, regulatory entities like U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, you know, some delays are, are, you know, controversial as far as certain areas or developments, that sort of thing. But this was really almost a plea from a lot of us on the ground, researchers. You know, as soon as a bird is federally listed, the red tape that's involved in doing work with those species sort of increases exponentially. Hmm. So for us, as you said, you know, we're already so far behind with this species. Um, At this stage, if it was to already be listed, it would have halted a lot of the permitting and work that was already under, you know, underway for a lot of entities on the East Coast. Hmm. So this sort of just gave us a little bit more time in this case to be able to get a little bit more work done. Um, you know, as soon as as soon as something is state listed, not only is working with the birds, so as far as banding or handling them, require additional special permits, but also even just working in the hab- in their breeding habitat. Um, requires different types of authorization and management practices. Mm. So this gave us a lot of time to be able to actually figure out just what we need to do um, at these sites to work with these birds. So when the birds are listed, 
we'll be ready to handle the permitting um, and changes to those kind of permits to be able to continue working with the birds. Okay, so somebody just seeing this headline would think of it as something negative, but you're talking about it in quite a different light. Yeah, in, in this case, it, it was it was um, it was beneficial to the species, you know. And in some cases, like I said, it, it, that is not the case. Um, it's a little more politically motivated, mm-hmm. but this this sort of for us on the ground just gave us a little bit more time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your study of this bird and how how you're going about it. Yeah, sure. So again, you know, people may or may not know, but salt marsh sparrows are 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 only endemic species to the Northeast, um, and these birds are. You know they nest right on the ground so obviously with sea level rise they're in real trouble um so for us on the ground what we're trying to understand is you know we we figured out what their breeding habitats are but now we're trying to figure out especially at our sites you know what the rates of returns are um how their breeding productivity is you know what birds are coming back year after year if they're dispersing to other sites or if their site fidelity for breeding they're coming back to the exact same um, location. So in Massachusetts, we're one of three sites that are that are undergoing um, this work with salt marsh sparrows, and we have a large portion of their breeding population in in Massachusetts, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of the scope of what we're trying to understand at our sites, and then from there, we're trying to base our restorations of both Rumney Marsh, Belle Isle Marsh, and Department of Conservation from these pilot sites. Um, you know, what can we do at our other sites? So these are high marsh specialists. So the plant communities that are in high marsh um, and, and and the plants that, uh, you know, Spartina patents where salt marsh sparrows breed in these little nest cups that they make in patents, that's only a plant that's in high marsh. So as sea level rises, increases a little bit and the tide cycle changes, um, often it, it it's starting to make these uh, you know very difficult for these birds to breed. Mm-hmm. Um, salt marsh. Um, so there's a a lot of this work was pioneered by Sharp, which is Salt Marsh Habitat and Avian Research Program. So they looked at a lot of marsh breeding birds, everything from rails to uh, salt marsh sparrows to willets, that sort of thing. Um, and some of the scary statistics coming out of that, their modeling is showing that you know a lot of research you'll read will say well we're probably by you know definitely by 2100 this bird could be gone or in real trouble but Mm -hmm. some of the models we're seeing could be as early as 2035 to 2050 so that the time scale for this species being a a viable breeding species is really very very concerning Mm -hmm. i hear i sometimes hear people say sean you know if this rising water is a problem why don't they just build their nests uh, a little higher what's What's the answer to that? Yeah, so um, salt marsh sparrows, sort of like, you know, snowy owls, they're just a a very habitat niche specific species. So they only nest in these certain plant communities. They only nest in high marsh. And they're just not a species that is adaptable to changing their their breeding biology, Mm -hmm. much like snowy owls have to nest up in the high tundra. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so... It's just a species that's not able to adapt, and these conditions are changing so rapidly that, um, you know, a year where, you know, historically these birds nest in the neap tide, so when the tides are the lowest, but just these subtle changes um, in the hydrology of our, you know, the marsh's hydrology and tides, just that little bit of extra water added into the marsh often is all it takes for these these nests to fail. Mm-hmm. Um 
What's your optimism level? I know you're obviously describing some dire predictions here, but do you have some optimism that things can uh, work out somehow? Yeah, it's 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 certainly a very um, sort of gloomy outlook. I mean, marshes in general are just in in real trouble, and if you look at the rates of what you know sea level rise is looking like, it's really scary for all of us. But you know, we we're we're hopeful um, that some of the restoration work that we're you know is being pioneered, especially in some sites in Massachusetts, is that you know we can augment some of the marsh loss and try to build up these habitats, um, try to build up high marsh habitat to support these birds. So I, I think, you know, the clock is absolutely ticking, but, you know, we're, 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 we've made some promising discoveries um, in how to fix, um, you know, this type of habitat. And, uh, you know, we're hopeful that that will, you know, give them some more time. You know, at some point, sea level rise is really going to outpace everything. Um, but, you know, right now we're trying to just prolong this type of habitat that they need to breed. And from there, with a little bit of more time, we might be able to figure out some more solutions. So mm-hmm. I think the initial stages of, of fixing their breeding habitat, if we act now, um, is, you know, somewhat hopeful, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, another bird you're studying, the long-eared owl, I wanted to ask you about. We're getting very short on time here, though, so maybe we can do this at, at another at another time, Sean. But while we do have a, a minute, uh, let me go back to Belle Isle Marsh again because listeners not far from Boston will want to know that you co-lead bird walks there twice a month. Uh, tell us just a quick r- r- overview of that, if you would, and about Belle Isle's rather unusual location as a birding spot. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Belle Isle is sort of nestled. It's the last largest remaining salt marsh in Boston. It's a 400-acre reservation, and we're sort of nestled in Winthrop and Revere. So it's this sort of little green oasis um, jammed in the city. And, um, yeah, we just have really incredible um, biodiversity there. Um, we have over 270 species of birds that pass through 16 state listed species that uh, breed there or overwinter there and something like 37 species of shorebirds that pass through. Um, so it's a really just really neat spot. And yeah, we do biweekly bird walks there free to the public. Uh, we start at 730 in the morning on the first and third Saturday of the month. And you just kind of show up and we we sort of just explore you know, what birds are there. And then obviously, since we host it year round, um, you know, everything from salt marsh sparrows and terns and shorebirds in the summer to snowy owls and other neat sort of winter specialists in the winter. So mm-hmm. it's just a really neat spot. Um, you know, if you haven't been, I definitely encourage people to, to come and check it out. And if there are no birds, you can watch other winged uh, entities flying over. Yes. <laughs> it's very close yes. to Boston Logan International Airport. Sean, thank you so much, and uh, thanks for your wonderful work. And I know you'll keep yeah, uh, keep doing it. Uh, you can find yeah, out more about uh, Sean and what he's doing and, and other stuff uh, related to that at Friends of Belle Isle Marsh.com. There's an E in Bell there. That's Friends of Belle Isle Marsh. Thank you, Sean. Coming up next here, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. 
Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. Here's the pretty distinctive sound of our mystery bird, and its behavior is pretty uh, distinctive as well or, or, or nearly unique. Um, here's a description of the bird. It's a stocky blackbird with a short tail, large head, heavy finch-like bill. Male has glossy black plumage on the body, a rich brown color on the head. Our bird breeds from northern New England across the northern Midwest down into the southwestern states. The female makes no nest, but lays her eggs in the nests of other birds and is known to eat the snail of the shells of snails and other birds for the calcium it needs because it lays so many eggs. That's just kind of a little aside, I guess. But those are some uh, pretty strong clues, I think, for our mystery bird. And the number is 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. Call us as soon as you can with your answer or guess and win those beautiful prizes. Remember, no correct answer means we'll do a drawing and award the uh, prize just the same. A beautiful Droll Yankee's new generation yellow thistle finch feeder with six perches to allow several birds to feed simultaneously is one of our prizes from Droll Yankees and classic brands. Plus a feather-friendly window collision kit to keep birds from crashing into your windows. And yes, it really does work. And it's really an important thing, too. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor about some advice on nest boxes. Let's ask Mike... In just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautiobooks.com B-U-T-E-O Beautyobooks.com. I am Brian Bixby and I'm calling from downtown Boston, Massachusetts. What I like in particular about being a Talking Birds ambassador is that it makes me sound smart. I don't know much more about birds than anybody else, but it helps start a conversation and it helps make new friends. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. Down to Cape Cod we go. Mike O'Connor down there at the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Good morning, Mike. 
Uh, good morning, Ray. Congratulations on your show today. It's excellent. You've come a long way from guests like David Clapp. This is really an upgrade. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've taken David right off the list there, I think. He keeps calling and asking to come back on again, but, you know. Just put him on hold. That's what I do. Try to remain strong. You know, put him on hold. <laughs> I, that's a, that's He's a good tip. He's out of the tip. country. He can't hear us, so that's okay. Well, we have somebody else here who uh, may be visiting your store soon. Uh, Mike, you'd like to say hello to John Kreicher. Oh, John's awesome. He comes in a lot. He's, uh, you know, I, get, I deal with a lot of birds, but he's like the most pleasant bird that, uh, that comes in, and I always pick his brain. He's all, he always puts up with me, so i got to give him credit for that. Hey, Mike, you are just one unique talent. It's a pleasure <laughs> to every time I spend time with you. I go in there, and I just want to see you, and then I feel obliged. i got to buy something. got to buy something. Well, yeah. <laughs> I put yeah. the guilt on you. Yeah, you exactly. Right. That's when, don't let me stop you from buying stuff. That's when that's his main talent is putting guilt on people who <laughs> come uh, into uh, this. No worries, Mike. You're going to be selling my book before long. <laughs> I <laughs> hope so. Get it ready. <laughs> All right. So, Mike, you wanted to talk a little bit about birdhouses and specifically about where to place them indoors or outdoors, for example. <laughs> or, uh, I'm kind of more, I'm, I'm in the outdoor camp on this. One. Outdoor, okay. And it's kind of controversial, <laughs> and I know a lot of people lost their birdhouses this winter because we had all these terrible storms and everybody's replacing them. And my, I have a couple of just quick advice because I know you got John on. Um, but when you put your birdhouse up, uh, make it sturdy. Attach it to a metal pole if you can. That's a little bit more predator-proof. Um, but because birds put a lot of time into their bird, you know, nesting, and you don't want it falling down in the wind. Mm. So if put it up as sturdy as you can. You don't have to put it up high. Put it up about five feet so that way you can look in it and maintain it and keep an eye on it. Don't You don't want to put it up top of a tree and it's where you need to climb a ladder. As a matter of fact, trees are probably the least best place for them because that's where the mm. predators, the raccoons, run up and down trees all the, all the time. So even though the birds will use them, if you can put it on a pole a little bit out in the open, maybe on the edge of a garden, on the edge of a lawn, that's a better place. And then the other thing is where to face the hole. Everybody apps about that. I always tell, because birds, you know, they ha might have their favorite direction, but I always tell people, put it the hole where you can see it from your house. Because mm. it, kind of the reason why you do this is to see the bluebirds or the chickadees feeding their babies. And if you put it on the back of a tree somewhere, you don't even know what's going on. Then it, it, it takes some of the fun out of it. So I say put it on a, a short metal pole facing uh, power of your house away from the windows a little bit further into the yard and away from your feeders because that's again what draws predators the raccoons sniff around your feeder at night so don't put it near your feeder at a different part away from the feeders that's my quick blast on that i think we covered it there mike thank you so much and we will uh talk to you again uh uh, next week, we'll make sure David Clapp is not here. <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay. I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks. All right. Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod. Birdwatching Magazine has a new membership program. Benefits include detailed bird ID articles from Ken Kaufman and David Sibley, tips and stories about bird photography, access to quarterly e-workshops on identifying and photographing birds, and complimentary print and digital subscriptions to Birdwatching Magazine. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com slash memberships. We return quickly to the uh, Mystery Bird Contest at 781-837-4900. And Ariel is down there in the Sunshine State in Florida. Good morning, Ariel. Hey, good morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thank you. Did I pronounce your name correctly, first of all? You did. Okay. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. I lucked out on that one. We're in Florida, if you'd like to say. 
Um, I'm in Bradenton on the West Coast, avid bird watcher and a huge fan of the show. Oh, well, that is beautiful. Thank you. We should award you the prize already without you even having to give the answer here based on <laughs> all those beautiful comments. Uh, well, anyway, yeah, so the mystery bird, you heard the sound, you heard the clues, and I have a feeling you're going to get this right, but let's see. What do you say it is, Ariel? I think it's the brown-headed cowbird. I think, uh, I think you're absolutely correct about that. Ooh. Yeah, awesome. we might be able to do a a, a mystery bird um, bonus question here. Let's see if we can do it. If you're up for it. Oh yeah, totally. Okay. That's awesome. Not a direct bird question again, but a conservation one. Mercedes Benz says its new electric concept car, the EQXX, has a range of 620 miles on a full charge and uses many organic materials in its construction, including seat cushions made of what? A, wood pulp, B, bamboo, C, mushroom roots, or D, prickly pear cactus fibers. Ow! (laughs) One of of those. They all sound kind of interesting. What do you think? Oh, man. I could see any one of them being the answer, but I'm going to go with bamboo. Bamboo is the answer. It's uh, actually not uh, bamboo. It's... um... <laughs> it's mushroom roots, isn't that oh, kind of pretty cool? It is pretty cool. Uh, I might mention though, um, yeah, they use these uh, underground structures of the mushrooms in the seat cushions. But the interesting thing too is cactus is used, another leather substitute, uh, substitute made from pulverized cactus fibers, is used elsewhere in the interior. And uh, you were right about one thing. The carpets are made entirely of bamboo fiber. So there you go. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Learned something new today. Thank you. Ariel, thank you so much. Stay on the line. We'll take care of that. Those prices. Ariel in Florida correctly identifying the brown-headed cowbird. We are out of time completely. Thanks for being with us. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com.